Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Star Trek Reliant. Uh, tonight, I will be your host. I am Gerilyn. I usually play con officer Kara Junrani, but tonight I will also be the games master. <laughs> Which means that everyone is trapped in my personal hell. We're screwed. And, and remember, if you want to send us any information at all, plot ideas, compliments, uh, pipe bombs, I guess in a virtual sense, you can send them to Reliant at StarbaseUGC.com. Please not the and, pipe bombs, my hands still hurt. And without any further ado, let's introduce our players for this evening. First off, we have our man out of time, D.B. Wells. Hello, I am the man out of time, D.B. Wells. And I would also like to say that my favorite email to send emails to is Reliant at StarbaseUGC.com. You know, I hear that's a really good email. Next up, we have our doctor and first officer, Dr. Eli O'Connor. What is a man? A miserable little pile of secrets that sends emails to Reliant at StarfaceUGC.com. As you can tell, ladies and gentlemen, we're professional shills on this show. Next up, our captain, as well as science officer, uh, we have Captain Marcus Graves, who also plays Lieutenant John T. Tardigrade and Ensign Setsa Jigoro. I am at StarbaseUGC.com. You know, send over a bomb. You know, I suppose they could send a logic bomb to an email address. <laughs> and last but not least, our resident engineer, who also has a mirror counterpart who is excessively violent, Rick Tier. Yeah, and I'm the one that's got to clean up the logic bomb that you send to us, relied at starbaseudc.com. So really prefer if you actually send, uh, like, actual messages or images, ideas, whatever, but logic bombs. Remember to, remember to pass the show around. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your family, tell people you know, tell people you don't know. We also take pictures of adorable foxes, specifically me. And with that, as the credits roll and the... Opening song fades, the camera pans to the uh, USS Reliant in warp, and then the camera cuts to the inside of the Astrometrics Lab, where Kara Junrani and D.B. Wells are working. A voiceover comes up. Starbase 86880.7, Officer's Log. The captain has been a bit stressed lately. Given everything that's happened, we've had to increase the pace of our search for a new homework for the Riothaeans. Having a thousand-plus individuals crammed into Magellan is working for now, but long-term it's probably not sustainable. Not to mention the problems with having all our eggs in one basket as far as species survival goes. Currently, though, we've not been doing a terribly good job. Seven dead ends, 16 lifeless worlds, and more gas giants than we can count. Just hoping the next system does better. Carl looks over at uh, D.B. Wells. Do you have the scans for the next system done? Uh, I think think so D uh daniel just daniel's tapping buttons that he thinks do does what he think what he wants them to do and tries to bring up the scans the scans do indeed come up because daniel has been learning quickly the projector shows a simple system with one star and three different planets from the outside scans it looks like two gas giants and one single rocky world chances aren't good but Let's face it, the crew has not been doing particularly great with this lately. Car size. Okay. So, one even possibly habitable planet, unless we're going to stick all the rats in spacesuits and throw them on a gas giant. 
I don't think the captain would like us very much if we did that. Oh. What are we even... What kind of planet are we even, like, looking for as the ideal planet anyway? I, I haven't really been working on this project very long, and I don't know what their planet of origin was like. Well, like most species, it looks like they came from what appeared to be a Class M world, at least before the catastrophe. So we're looking for your standard nitrogen-based atmosphere, gravity and standard pressures comparable to Terra. Uh, you know, life conductive. Water, etc. Okay, so just a general planet. We're not trying to find a perfect match. I think finding a perfect match would be incredibly difficult at this point. But hey, so long as it's good enough to set up a colony, we should do all right. Well, I guess I'll, I guess I'll send the coordinates for the for the the non-gaseous planet over to over to. Wait, who are we sending these to? Well, I'd send them up to the captain and also Ensign Moon, since he's currently the one flying. Okay. And Daniel just starts typing. And with that, the camera cuts away and goes to a darkened room in a deck that does not exist on the USS Reliant. Uh, you see um, the back end of Rick Tears sort of in the middle of um, what appears to be like the giant table in front of there, just sort of inside looking at the various stuff. Um, He's been working on his uh, temporal mechanics, focusing on that, and is now getting a bit more of, uh, like, getting his hands dirty, just sort of not actually changing anything, but getting in there and understanding how, you know, bits work together and how that whole process works. So he's been at this for um, quite a bit of time. and just sort of crawls back out, um, latching the, closing up the, the, the spaces. He just pauses for a moment and takes a deep breath before. As the camera, uh, yeah, oh, you go. As the camera moves away from the room, it, it zooms in on one screen and shows one open issue. For a point, a couple weeks ago, it seems like several days passed on the Reliant, but more than a week passed elsewhere. All right, he will he will uh, re- t- take that uh, recording down and note notes uh, whatever details he can download from there uh, before tapping his com badge and going uh, Rick Tier to Daniel. It's DB. Have we lost Daniel? Oh, sorry. I think I I think you cut out for me a bit. Okay. Well, Rick Tier was just trying to get a hold of you. On combat. All right. Uh, Daniel taps his com badge uh, and just kind of says hello. Uh, hey, DB. Um, can I talk to you for a moment, just privately? Uh, sure. Uh, do you want me to just find a room to myself, or do you want me to come to you? Or uh, come to me. Um, and uh, I'll. Uh, well, actually, you probably need a bit more information. Um, he, uh, I'll give him directions to go to a certain turbo lift. All right. And with oh, that, sorry. the camera cuts away and shows the medical uh, bay 
specifically the office where Dr. Eloy Connor works, sitting behind his desk with a nice hot cup of coffee, when in walks Captain Graves, who is looking a little stressed. Welcome, Captain. Um, hi there. He rubs his arm. What seems to be the issue? Uh, it's this time off that you mandated for me. You know, being too much in the paperwork, trying to get the ship back. Operation, since I've been back on duty. Before then, really taking my time off to really relax beyond, like, the first 24 hours. And it's starting to get to me. So I'm just wondering if I can squeeze in just a little bit longer for duty shift. Mm, no. All right. So you got to help me out. What what can I do? You can relax. That's what you can do. That Spend time with your so girlfriend, easy. people that you care about. Uh, She's on duty. She's on B shift. I'm on A shift right now. Ah, well, that does complicate things. Yeah, and I don't really want to shift personnel schedules for that kind of reason. I mean, they'll cycle around eventually, but in time, like, worth doing the holodeck more? I still don't quite feel right about that after the whole Wendy incident. Um, and I've never really had a hobby. Well, you might have to start looking into some, uh, what interests you? Uh, back before I joined Starfleet, there was sword fighting, uh, drinking. No, I took fit. I took fencing at the academy. Uh, or not really took, it was a club, in, but you get what I mean. Nos construed a little bit differently. I'm, I'm glad that I'm not doing that anymore. Yes. Well, anyway. Um, so, yeah. You kind of see where I'm at right now. Where it's like, I could try to like readjust my entire life. Or, you know, shift to a little bit more work. Um, well, let's try the, the life bit first. I'm sure it'll work okay. out. Uh, I guess I can spend more time with John. It's been a while since we just hung out. And there is the drinking. You know, you got a buddy that can sword fight with you, that could drink with you. And you're, you're just, you know, looking a gift horse in the mouth. Oh, that's right. Chorog. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. At this point, the screen freezes. <laughs> At this point, the screen freezes, and a voiceover comes up. Officer's log supplemental. While I'm thinking about it, the training with Lower Decks officers hasn't been going that well. Chorog's, uh, uh, being restricted to quarters after an injury. Seems like during practice, Ensign Setsa accidentally, well, shot him. He screamed something about Garamba and fell over. And since then, he's been quite grumpy. The scene resumes. <laughs> uh, he says, all right. Uh, what shift are you on right now? Same as yours. Alright, so how about we do a little bit of light drinking? Not too much, because, you know, that's not quite a way I want to be solving my problems here. But just so I'm out of my quarters and not just looking at my data pad and computer and feeling guilty about not using those. Captain, I'm always down to drink. While we're at it, we can go to the holodeck after and, and, and swing some sword. Nothing bad could happen. Alright, and... Am I on the level of Lissetza? Is it really, you know, would it be a problem to shift her over? Or I really don't know how to balance that situation. She was the one that suggested you start, you know, taking some time. So if you that's what you need to help accommodate, then go ahead. I'm the first officer I could put it through so it doesn't look suspicious. 
Okay, let's go ahead and do that, just to make sure that there's separation between me and Seto when it comes to command matters. Alright. Well, you're buying first round, then. Alright, gotcha, I've got plenty of credits. Third. I've got plenty. Maybe not for, you know, a tenth round, but I think we can, we're good until five. And do you call that light? Let's go. As the two start to leave, Graves the and you med... Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna actually narrate that, so go for it! <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say... As uh, Dr. Eli O'Connor and Marcus Graves leave the medbay, the camera cuts again, this time to Rick Tier and Daniel Wells standing together in one of the turbo lifts as it changes floors. Uh, Daniel sees uh, Rick just sort of uh, presses two buttons at, uh, bosses at, buttons at the same time and, uh, and sees the, the turbo lifts to stop. Uh, the doors briefly open, and this is an area of the ship that... Daniel has never seen before. It's a bit small and a bit dark. I hate to, inter- hate to interrupt, but technically, Daniel has seen it before, at least while he was semi-conscious. It's where he was spat out from the tunnel. Well, yes, but not fully conscious. Yeah, he thought Sasson was a kangaroo. Daniel exits the turbo lift and just feels a strange sense of familiarity, but kind of ignores it and walks over to Graves. So, I mean, what Rick do you Tier. want to chat about? Oh, sorry, Rick Tier. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, um... I, I mean, the captain can randomly be on deck 7.5 if he wants. No, uh, I... It's future Sorry, I get, I get names mixed up sometimes. We're good, we're good. Uh, so, did you ever get a chance to meet my, um, mirror counterpart? Hmm... Now that you mention it, I think I vaguely recall seeing you in the room at this uh, twice at the same time a bit ago. But that was a weird... I, I don't remember a lot from that night. Might have been the alcohol. <laughs> you, you didn't see him in the brig or talk to him at all, though. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, uh, if that was... If that was the other you that... I was that I was running with, and then the real you was the other you that I saw in the room after them. Then technically, I talked to them, I think, but I don't think they said anything. I'm just, just sort of, I know, worried about him, about me, about the ship. I, I mean, I don't. I talked about him on, at the um, at the tribunal, and I was just, you know, sort of feel like by sort of by what I said, I might have like I felt sort of like I, I betrayed the crew. But if I didn't, then I would also sort of betray myself as well. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I'm going to be honest, a lot of things that I've come across does not make sense to me even still, but I can understand where you're coming from. If, I mean, you're basically, I mean, you're basically, you're, from what I'm understanding of the situation right now, you're basically having to choose between another version of you and, and, and actual you. That that's gonna be a weird situation for anyone. Mm. I mean, 
he wants something. I don't, I don't really know what, but I, I get the sense if we got in his way, then uh, I don't know. It's just it's it's really hard to put into words by by trying to stop him. I'm betraying him, but if I don't stop him, then maybe I'm betraying uh, the crew by putting him into a situation where he has to wait attack to to where we he sees us as enemies well i'm i'm going to be honest it's kind of hard for me to it's kind of hard for me to help you with this situ- i don't think anyone's really told me what the whole mirror version of people thing is all about like is it just like evil dimension where everybody's the where it's all the same people but not good it's complicated um mostly yes the terran um, the version of the federation in the mirror universe is the terran uh empire which sort of puts everything under boot and is very violent and is very let's just say um very violent in how it deals with with each other and with others yeah i mean pretty pretty uh i think the word would have to be fascistic okay so but like are the individuals there like are the individuals there fascists fascists through nature or nurture like is it just like our universe is the way it is so theirs is the antithesis or something or there's some i mean the terran empire is very fascistic in terms of i don't want to say nature or nurture we don't really know what's what caused them to go that way but it's very much that um Whatever was difference between us led to to great uh, changes, and I don't know if he is fascistic because he was forced into the situation, or if that's just how it was, how he is. Well, I guess let's let's go with the assumption that it's uh, that it's nurture over nature here. If you want to know what mirror you want, what would you want if you grew up in a, that situation and you were suddenly thrust into this situation? What I would want, I would want to be done with it all, just to find somewhere out of the way to not have to worry about anyone or anything else. Is there... Did they... Did other you say anything that pointed towards that or I think so um and he didn't outright say it but he was did seem to be be very well uh, i'm done with this kind of stuff well i guess that seems to be the best lead you have as to what they want at least right now and well, I mean that's that's all good, but and they well they attacked us they as as a 
member of the Terran Empire, they've, they've been well conf- convicted of crimes, and now they're in they're on their way now to 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 Saw for um, to be dealt with and to be you know, locked up, and perhaps that'll work. Perhaps he'll escape. I, I I'm not sure, but. Do you want him to escape? I mean, what's... And he's the only one, only soul left in his galaxy. Uh, it's hard to... Any, it's hard not to commiserate with, with, with that idea, and yet, you know, what he's done as part of the Terran Empire and what he's done to this crew. I mean... I mean... How, what do you think, by the, you know, I was going to say something else, but it just dawned on me. I have no idea what the Mirror Universe is actually like, aside from the conversation we just had. So I guess I can't really make grand statements with assumptions I've just thought of. (sighs) Yeah, it's... uh... I don't really know if I want him to escape or not. That's sort of the sort of the thing, and I mean the reason why I I wanted to talk to you is that you're a you're part of this crew, but you're not really you know part of the formal structure. You're not the chief engineer. You're not the 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 captain or first officer. You're not in the chain. So it's a more of a less structured thing and more of just trying to 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 not whatever this weird situation I find myself in. Well, would you like to talk to him? Mm. Maybe oh. ask maybe just one last conversation, try and work things out, if not for him, at least for you. Oh uh he probably won't be able to get a signal while I was still in transport, but I'll I'll send I'll write a letter, I think. See Wait, we could always try an unofficial little excursion, a little detour. Daniel just kind of gives him a uh, a little look, waiting for a response. No, we should, we've got well, the the Royal's got too much to do. I would I would All like right. it, but um. I've already been far too, been worried in all this time stuff around, which more than doing the rest of my duties on the ship, so I should get back to it. Wait, time stuff? Well, this is where we found you. This is um, how you were brought on board. Um, There was some linkage with this temporal equipment and... Somehow, you were transported here. So that's why this place is so familiar. Yeah, you... So, you guys... So, I was just randomly plucked from time? That's the whole reason I'm here? Well, like, it wasn't wasn't on purpose. I don't know if you could really call it random or not. I mean, I'm still working out this whole time thing. It may be the result of some... If, uh, maybe the cause or some effect we haven't seen yet. Um, but 
you were in the time stream at the right spot at the right time to interact with the stuff we have to uh, pull you into the future. Huh. How did I get in the time stream? Daniels just kind of puts a hand to his chin and is kind of thinking, trying to remember what happened. Uh, we did look something up about that. Uh, there was some kind of accident. Um, you would, I don't actually have the details, but I'm sure we've got some more files that I could show you. Okay. And then once... I'm sh Okay. And then once this is all sorted out, I'm sure I can just be sent back, right? Hey, who knows? We in the business call that the slow no. It is... I would is, like to... It is a very complicated situation, and perhaps it would be best if you did stay here for that part of the timeline and, and for you. At this point, Daniel's just kind of quiet for a few moments before saying... Oh, sorry. Before saying, I think I would like to see those reports you mentioned. At this point, Rick Tear's comm badge goes off, and it's uh, an Ensign Timmer from Engineering, and he says, uh, Sir, we could use you down in Engineering. We're having some strange readings from the starboard nacelle. Uh, all right, I'll be there soon. And uh, it taps his combat tentacle. Well, uh, it appears like it'll have to be later, but um, I will, I will uh, get the files and and uh, get what I can for you and hand over the pad when I can. Okay. And with you, that, the camp. Go ahead. Uh, you go on without me. I'll I'll follow you. I'll I'll follow you out in a minute or two. Oh, um, and Daniel just can't. Kind of, sorry. That actually, you did remind me. I need to send some stuff to to uh, the captain, and uh, and Rick Tier will actually send a report up of the the temporal incongruities that was detected to to uh, Duncan Duncan's off. So let's. I'll, I'll send it to Kara. To uh, yeah, Kara. Uh, for the record, to, this you know, incident had actually already been recorded by Kara because. She discovered it when Setsa and uh, the captain came back from Earth after a trip. Oh. Well, then, uh, you'll have to look into into more of the readings later on. But for now, duty calls. And with that, the camera cuts to the bridge, where most of the bridge crew is currently present. There's another short voiceover. Officer's log supplemental. You would think that with there being an M-class planet in the Archer system, we could just put the Riothans there. Unfortunately, that planet was settled by a bunch of corporal states who are... assholes. They have a very strict no-refugees policy, and they said some things that... Well, the captain stopped me before I could drop the photon torpedo on them. Kara brings uh, some images up on the main screen and says, uh, We've arrived, sir. It looks like this is system... Theta Delta 7313. Who's captain at this point? <laughs> I thought we were drinking. This is sometime later. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, so Graves is on duty. That is true. Eli is probably in the Okey first dokey. seat. That is true, I am. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so Graves nods and says, Acknowledged, hopefully we can find something here that's suitable for the Rigothans, and also... 
moderately defensible. Right on. Uh, see, this isn't my usual thing, but uh, let me get on the sensors and see what I can determine. Okay, we're getting a lot of interference from the two gas giants. There's a lot of magnetic interference. But I've got some readings from the second planet, which is a rocky planet. There's water and life there, but I'm not reading a lot of life. Hmm. How much water are we talking about? Looks like 87% coverage of the planet. Sorry, what? All right, that's a little interesting. What did you say? Oh, yeah, 87%. No, while I was talking, you said something. Yeah, I was saying... Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was just actually just going on in like 70%, 60%, and then you said 87%. Roger. But yeah, 87% water, Captain. All right. I mean, that's a little high to have a low life, uh, low amount of life. What's the age of the planet? Uh, inconclusive, sir. I think we need to get closer. Like I said, there's a lot of magnetic interference in the gas giants. All right. Well, I mean, that's at least promising, but let's not get our hopes up too much yet. Hi, sir. I'll go ahead and take us in full impulse. We should be there in about 15 minutes. Meanwhile, cut down to engineering, where Ensign Timor is with Rick Tier looking over a display of the starboard nacelle. Timur points and says, All along here, the temperature has just been dropping like crazy. It's currently at about negative 300 degrees and going down. Uh, just to clarify, is that in Celsius or Fahrenheit? Uh, it probably doesn't matter at that level, but we'll say Celsius. Uh, well, I mean, I think, think uh, zero Kelvin's like minus 273, actually. So, but anyway, um, so extremely it's cold. cold. Um, oh. When did you f- first notice it? He will go back and look, check the logs, see if there's any kind of of um, change or damage that the ship has received, or any any kind of any kind of modification that might have started go around ahead. the time. Go ahead and give me a control engineering to make the scans and find the information. Hmm. Would one of my focuses apply? Probably not, unless yeah, it's an APS power. Two successes. You can easily track that this all seemed to start about two hours ago when the ship was at warp. It looks like it started off very small with just a minor fluctuation in temperature. But since then, it's been growing in both uh, decreasing temperature and size exponentially. Is there a specific location that it's tied to? Yeah, it doesn't seem to be moving. It's just extending outward from... Timur looks for a second and jabs his finger down. It looks like this is the center of the area where the temperature is dropping. So far, it's not affecting any systems, but... Well, we'll have to have to deal with it before it does. Um, right, let's uh, get a team together and we'll head down there to take a closer look. Hi, sir. I'll uh, find us some hazard suits and we'll be ready in a few minutes. All right. And with that, the camera cuts to Rick Tier in an environment suit crawling through a Jeffries tube towards the anomaly on the ship. As he moves along, he has to occasionally wipe frost off the view visor of his uh, uh, suit. But up in the distance, he sees a soft, dull blue glow that he is certain is not normal to the nacelle's operation. Uh, so is this uh, near the Bassard Collector or in the superstructure or just 
This would be in the superstructure. It's in the middle of a nacelle, specifically. Okay. All right. Uh, let's try and figure out what's going on here. And he pulls out uh, his uh, uh, specially encased uh, tricorder to to try and protect it from the extra cold and does some scans. Uh, oh, well, it gets up closer to it. Go ahead. Well, if, as you get up closer, eventually you start to make out what looks to be small blue crystals growing out of the side of the Jeffreys tube. And if you would still like to go ahead and scan from a slight distance, go ahead and give me a control science. Yes, well, this won't be all that great. One success. Scanning the object is extremely difficult. In fact, in most cases, the tricorder actually says that there's nothing there. However, you are getting a slight subspace distortion. As if whatever it is, is not entirely here, but is at least partially somewhere else. Oh, uh, that would be uh, counted as two successes, by the way. Ah, okay. Uh, well, you get that information, and you also get along the lines of the fact that whatever it is, it is exactly half in this space and half out. It is just on the edge of being corporeal, and it's generating a great deal of cold. Does it, uh, so it's some kind of crystalline structure, um, alright, um, so he'll, uh, does it seem to be, so it's just sort of locked into the superstructure by the fact that it's, like, sort of half-phased into it and half not? Just to visual sight, it looks like a crystal just growing out of the side of the structure. It looks as if you could reach out and grab it, but your tricorder says that it's almost like a hole, like... There's something not there. All right, so he'll um, he'll tap his com badge. Uh, Rick Tierda, Setsu Jigoro. Setsu here. I've got um, my engineers detected some rather interesting temperature and and anomaly. It's uh, very extreme, extremely low temperatures are being detected in the. Um, uh, in the superstructure of the nacelle, uh, we have—I've got eyes on some kind of blue-growing crystal thing that isn't being properly detected by the tricorders. Um, oh right, so strange crystally thing on cold. It's not like, you know, it's not like a hole breach with some kind of contaminant forming a crystal structure around it. It's a space is also very cold. It, it's. It's the, the crystalline is some partly phased into this reality and partly not and like the uh and I'll just check the just check the environment just to double check if um what the air pressure's like and, and stuff like that. Your tricorder immediately responds that everything is normal except it's very cold. There's no damage to the superstructure, no leaking atmosphere, nothing of the sort. Every everything I'm getting here indicates um this uh, the the hull's intact. There is no, uh, we're not exposed to to the spa to space, but it um, is that kind right. of temperature. So I mean, you're probably looking at some kind of unknown, oh, semi-subspace life form, which could maybe destroy the ship or just sit there. Yeah. So, let me take a look at it. Yeah, and um, uh. We do have a time frame of when this anomaly was first detected, but the area it is infecting and the temperature 
um, has been growing. So, um... Um, that's leaning towards this being a problem for habitability on the ship. Yes. So maybe think about being able to detach the nacelle. Uh, if worse comes to worse, we can do that, but, uh... We we'll still need to figure out what it is, and while it's still in the ship, is perhaps the best way to do that. Yeah, we'll do our best, but I mean, I know what Park is going to say, and he's going to say, yeah, if it's going to blow up the ship, then let's not do it. Well, I should uh, let the captain know, uh, at least uh, Dr. O'Connor. Uh, he's uh, he's still on break, isn't he, the captain? Uh, no, he's on a ship, so he's on right now. Okay. I'll be down. And uh, Rick closes the comm channel and opens up another to the captain. Uh, Rick to the captain. Actually, before he could do that, he actually has an incoming signal from Ensign Timor. Uh, yes, Ensign? Sir, I've been analyzing things, and it looks like if we pump extra and excess heat from the engines into the starboard nacelle, we could probably slow the growth at least somewhat. It's not going to stop things, but it might slow it down. Well, that's the... Um... That's at least the start, uh, so, uh, and you'll check to see if uh, there are any controls to do that from here, or if we'll have to uh, call another engine at engineering. Uh, there is a control panel not too far away from which he could direct the ship's waste heat to be sent directly to the starboard nacelle. Alright, which he will do. I would call for a control engineering, but frankly, there's almost no way you could fail that. So just go ahead and give me 2d20, and unless you get, like, 20s, I'm not going to worry. Uh, this is control? Uh, control engineering. Yeah, like I said, I was pretty sure there was no way that you were going to get 220s or something. So Rictir is easily able to reroute all the waste heat from the ship and start dumping it into the starboard nacelle, which should slow the growth of the crystals and everything else at least enough for the crew to get a handle on the problem. All right, uh, let's set up some monitoring equipment. Um, and wait for Setsa. Would you still like to contact the captain? Oh, yes. Um, and he'll uh, tap his gun badge for the captain. He'll, he'll say that to tomorrow and then uh, on to the captain. Graves here. Uh, so, Captain, uh, we have a bit of an issue in the left nacelle. Um, about two hours ago, we first initially detected a uh, a temperature anomaly, um, a slight with a difference within parameters. But uh, it is currently uh, very cold, and it's starting to affect a larger area. Uh, I'm in this section of the ship, and have eyes on what appears to be some kind of blue extremely cold crystal that um, is half-he, half-not. Tricord is having a hard time detecting it's even there. Um, uh, sorry, right um, nacelle, starboard nacelle. So, let's see. We've got an anomaly on the ship in the nacelle. That's probably not so great. It's a question of how we got on board the ship. Uh, I take it no signs of forced intrusion through the hull. Um, no, we have, the hull is intact, uh, it was during while we are at warp, um, so we're still trying to figure that out, we're still trying to figure what this is, I've contacted Setsu and she's on her way. Alright, so, I mean, considering the possibilities here, let's provisionally treat this like a, oh, let's see, 
a novel form of subspace life, and let's try our best to preserve what's attached to the ship, because it could be something that's been injured or is a juvenile, if so. All right. Um, well, we do have... Uh, I do have a question about that, then. Um, we are... Started, we are pumping uh, excess heat into the into the cell currently just to try and waste heat to try and slow the growth of the crystals and the area. Um, if if we if it's left too long, then the nacelles will um, the area will grow beyond the nacelles and start affecting the the main. Um, the, the saucer and the, the star drive of the ship. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and... Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get some contingency plans in place, slow the growth down as much as we can, but let's not try to arrest it quite yet until we figure out what this thing is and whether or not it poses a danger to the ship. So proceed with caution and take as many scans as you can. Okay, should we get ready to blow this nacelle if we need to? I suppose so, but I'd try to avoid that. Um, only do so if it's absolutely necessary for the survival of the ship and crew. All right, we'll uh, get ready on on it. Um, hopefully, we won't need to be. Uh, uh, we won't have to use it. All right, understood. Graves out. Uh, and uh, he gets a, makes another call to get some demolitions equipment ready. And head back to, to one of the support structures for the nacelle. Turns out the demolition equipment is unnecessary. It's already possible to simply detach the nacelle with the appropriate commands. Oh, I wanted a boom. Maybe the boom will happen later. Oh. Yeah, we don't, we, blowing up a nacelle would sound like something in TNG that would destroy the ship. We're gonna cut back to the bridge. Because what's currently going on is not causing the ship any problems. So on the bridge, the crew has now reached orbit around Theta Delta Beta, which is the second planet in the system. 87% water. And Kara looks up. Let's see. Standard breathable atmosphere, nitrogen, oxygen, carbon dioxide. A lot of argon for some reason. Looks like it's fairly high temperature. Kind of steamy down there. No moons. Looks like some severe storms. I'm not reading any polar ice. All right. Uh, let's see. Any trace of increased carbon that might increase increased decomposition, and there's something uh, indicates something might be wrong in the planet in terms of recent disaster. Let's see. Okay, it looks like the planet has been warming up for some time now. I'm detecting a lot of polar water below everything else, so it looks like something has probably affected the heat scale in this planet. It looks like it's probably gone up in temperature and. There's probably no polar ice because it's all melted. Currently, all right. the planet reads as a class L. It's marginally habitable, but if things continue the way there are, I think it's probably going to drop in rating. Yeah, it seems so. What do we have for life readings on that planet? Plants, plants, and more plants, and some microbes. I'm not reading anything complicated at all. All right. Uh, let's see if there's any sign uh, signs that what's happening to the planet is artificial and can be stabilized. Well, stabilization should be easy enough. Artificial, well, we'll have to take a look at it, but there's not a whole lot going on through here. There's a couple of warp trails that lead through the system, but nothing this close. <sighs> Call me crazy, but we have, a, uh, we have a problem with excess temperature 
on the planet and insufficient temperature in our nacelle. You're crazy. Now what? Yeah, let's keep a vague eye out to see if they could be related. Eh, permission to visit the surface, Captain? Ah, granted. Uh, I'd say take Setsa, but she's off uh, investigating whatever's locked onto our nacelles. So, form an away team as you see fit. Alright, Captain. She puts out a call for uh, Eli and DB to meet her in the transporter bay. And after a few minutes, she arrives in the transporter area herself, along with Nala, her dog. Aw. No, John? Okay, John, too. Hey, he goes for walkies as well. Eli is he looks looking at, at a... You go first. John looks, John looks just excited as Nala to be on the away mission. Nala looks quite happy to be getting off the ship. Eli is looking at a pad. So what's the plan? Uh, go down, see if there's any signs of any artificial tampering with the planet. See if we can figure out, uh, well, more or less, if it's worth stabilizing this planet. I don't think anyone's got a claim to it. I'm not picking up anything but plants, and they don't tend to complain about colonizers. You've never met a living plant, then? I've met many living plants. I've a never met any who would, who would... Okay, well, maybe not that one. Kara looks around for Daniel. Daniel, late as usual, uh, arrived in time to hear most of what... most of the objective. Ready to go explore the great unknown. Well, I got my space pants on, so probably. Kara chuckles and then goes to stand on the transporter pad. Once everyone is arrayed, they beam down. They find themselves in a grassy plain between several mountains. It looks like a valley area. Small fern-like areas kind of cover the ground at various points, but a lot of it is just barren land. It's warm, but not intolerable. The sun is currently starting to set. Kara looks around. Well, it's not too bad. I mean, I'm not saying I should like to build a summer home here, but... So... Are we looking out for anything in particular, or just something that doesn't look like a plant or a rock? Well, if we find anything uh, that resembles a higher life form, that is a point of interest. I don't know if it's a problem exactly. But what the captain specifically sent us down for is he wants us to check and see if there's any way that what's currently caused on this planet was artificial. As if anyone had uh, tinkered around with this world, or whether it's just bad luck in the galactic draw. All right, then. Daniel just kind of picks a random direction and starts walking off with a tricorder. All right, Daniel, go ahead and give me a control science. While this is not generally Daniel's area of expertise, he's a scientist who has learned enough in various forms to, learn, to be able to spot differences. By scanning the various strata, he's able to determine that this planet has been slowly warming up for a long period of time. Unfortunately, as the water has started to rise, the process simply accelerated itself, and now the planet is mostly flooded. With a lot of the previous land-bearing plants underwater, the current uh, atmosphere is slowly shifting, and the planet will probably start to become hotter and hotter in a sort of runaway greenhouse effect. There's nothing that indicates that this is an artificial problem. Instead, this is just one planet that slowly found itself facing what looks like a dead end. Uh, Daniel, after coming to this conclusion, Daniel tries to find his way back to where everybody was and relays this information as the sun continues to go down the others listen to daniel's explanation of what's going on Kara says yeah that seems about right do you have any thoughts to share eli um no haven't done any scans yet he just got right to it i guess the next question to ask is should we do anything about this or that's up to the captain 
But if you're asking my opinion, this is a marginally habitable world sliding towards being a barren rock. We could definitely terraform this place at least lightly and start to get it towards Class M and give it to the Riotheans. Again, and she casts an eye over to Eli, thinking a little more this time, I don't think these plants are going to complain. Well, this is definitely a fixer-upper, but... Class L beats Class D anytime. True. And if there aren't any, if there aren't any animals on the planet, that means their plants probably aren't carnivorous, because there'd be no carne to eat. At best, also, they'd be. Just, Go ahead. I was just going to say scan for Horda, just in case. It's always good to check. Hara does a quick extra scan for Horda, just in case. The scan takes a minute while the sun continues to set, and Kara looks up. No, everything on this planet seems to be carbon-based. I'm not reading any silicon-based. I'm not reading any tubes, tunnels, horda eggs, anything like that. I know they're hard to scan for, but I should have found something if they're here. Exactly, so it should be good. Never hurts to to check just in case we do terraform this, people move in. Then, you know, ah, what's this rock-killing things? Kara just kind of nods and says, yeah, I... I remember the last time we met a Horda. These are easy to make friends with. At this point, the sun is almost nearly entirely set. And as the sun sets entirely and the sky grows black, it starts to immediately light up with green and blue colors dancing along the, you know, atmosphere. And it looks like the planet has an extreme aurora borealis effect. Kara looks up. Okay, now that's nice. It, it does look nice, so... Hmm. Nothing like a little natural beauty here and there. Looks like the atmosphere is prone to ionization. I wonder if that's due to the Argon. Anyway, I think we've gathered about all we can down here. Time to head back up? Yeah, once John's done making sandcastles anyway. And at this point, the camera cuts back to... Camera cuts back to the Jeffrey's tube. We're now side by side. Ensign Setsa Jagora is there with Chief Engineer Rick Tier looking over at the strange phantasmal matter that has infested the starboard nacelle. So this yeah, thing's weird. Yeah, it uh, gives off the light, but it's not here to give off the light. Or to affect the temperature, for that matter. Yeah. I wonder if it's like a hole in subspace. Can we get a control science from Setsa? Setsa starts scanning and gets a little bit of information. And at that point, a crystal starts to grow right near the knee of her suit. And she can feel the cold through the hazard suit. In fact, she's starting to shiver. Uh... Setsa leaps back. She crawls away from the crystal and her temperature starts to normalize inside the suit. With how cold it must be to do that through the hazard suit... Approaching or touching this stuff would be incredibly unwise. However, she does get some data back. There's definitely no life science. It looks like whatever it is is just some sort of crystal doing a normal crystal growing, you know, behavior. Something about it being in and out of the current space and subspace just niggles at the back of her mind, but she can't quite remember what it is. Hmm... Well, I don't recommend touching it. We're getting near it. And it's gravely dangerous, but I don't think we need to worry about adopting it, because this thing just seems, well, very inorganic. So if we can, perhaps if we can 
destabilize this area in subspace enough that might possibly loosen itself and disconnect. Can I get an insight engineering from Rick? Subspace, subspace, partially the... Oh, just remind you, doesn't Tetrion weaponry run on a similar concept? So, Tetrion... I can't believe I didn't realize, but Tetrion weaponry, that that uses um, subspace modulation in its effects. It literally slows what it's been... What what it's firing at down? It's essentially like a cold beam. All right. So, how we use that? To get this off. Let's get an insight science from both of you. Creative problem solving. Yeah, that would definitely apply here. Nothing from Rick. Well, Rick's done the hard part at least already. Tetrion particles are out of phase with normal space time. These crystals seem to be out of phase with normal space time. Perhaps if the crystals were bombarded with tetrion radiation, they would at least briefly be fully pulled into this uh, dimension, and then they could be dealt with in some fashion. Collected, removed, beamed out into space. Setzer relays the plan to Richtier. What is the plan? All right, Good well, question. So the, the pl- <laughs> Rick goes, so then we can bombard it with tetrions and what just uh, transport... This stuff out of out of the ship because we're not going to be able to touch it. So trying to collect it is not going to. So it has to be done remotely, which means either constructing a whole lot of drones or getting to do it or simply beaming it out. Setsa, you know that this is an amazing scientific discovery. If you can get a sample, you really should. All right, let's go ahead. And, uh, yeah, let's see if we can pull this into real space, but, I mean, hopefully the whole, like, maybe if we start bombarding it, there's, like, a 50-50 chance it falls towards subspace or falls toward our space, but well, maybe if it's latched on like this, it'll kind of push the probability in our favor. But, yeah, if we can get our hands on it, then this could be really something. Well, we, we'd only want, like, a, a sliver, because the more, the more of this stuff there is... The colder it's going to be, in the and and the wider area it's going to be cold. So, so yeah, we can. Um, yeah, one of the things we could do is just you know break it apart into smaller slivers that each have a smaller effect and more maybe more manageable. In any event, if you're going to transport this out into space, it's probably best to set up some pattern enhancers so that you can do it in a hurry before this gets any more out of control. Yeah. So so Rick will get uh, will get some. Pattern enhancers and, and stuff beam to him, and he'll try and set those up uh, around it as 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 much as he can with its stature. And um, we don't actually have any Tetrion weapons, do we? But we could maybe try and use the industrial fabricator to create some. That would almost certainly work. And with the patterns placed, you can't tell because it's hard to scan. But you're pretty sure you've got max coverage around the nacelle. For whatever period of time it stabilizes, you should be able to get a transporter lock and get rid of it. All right. So, uh, so we'll try to uh, now that the patent has set up, I'll I'll uh, get some uh, Tetrion weaponry cooked up by industrial fabricator, and I'll I'll go and um, get get 
get the transporter room to try and collect this up in its pattern buffer. Um, we're looking for just like a, a fragment to keep. That that would be the most safe. How much in terms of stuff would you would be needed? Setsa, so go ahead and give me an insight science. E. The successes. Yeah. With the amount of time it's going to take to create the Tetrion weapons to to stabilize it, you're pretty sure you could create a container to at least get a chunk of this crystal and hold it in place through use of force fields and Tetrion radiation. It wouldn't be much, but it'd be more than enough. So that's a relays the amount of material that she needs for the operation and uh, begins uh, arranging some additional contamination measures in case... Well, what tips over is larger than what they would expect. Oh, all right. I will uh, get uh, transporter room three set up. Um, meet meet me there. Um, I'll have one of my uh, ensign uh, uh, ensign Tamor here. You'll be right to um, deploy the Tetrion weapon, would you, ensign? Ensign Timor responds that they'll be happy to do that. They'll have to beam in some of the Tetrion weapons due to the extreme cold, but mm. they'll start setting up ones at the outer edges as fast as you can. Okay. Um, so I will contact engineering and start the process of, of manufacturing the Tetrion weapons. Well, devices. Emitters, whatever you want to call them. At this point, the camera cuts to a quick montage of crew members moving around and setting things that look like landmines up in the Jeffries tubes. And then... We pan around to transporter room three, where Setsa has managed to cobble together a containment vessel of some sort. I'll let her describe exactly what she's made. The containment unit is, well, I mean, at first it starts out as your standard sample containment unit, very high specification, um, very high specification sensor units. But around that, just in case there's a problem, there's another containment unit that has slightly higher flash yield ratings plus some integrated force fields. But around that is an even larger containment unit with emergency transporter pattern enhancers to beam the whole thing out in space, as well as maximum rated uh, flash shields and uh, force fields. A set of three nested cylinders. And around the outside, it's still small enough to pick up, but it's bulky. Ensign Timor reports to Setsa and Rick that uh, everything is ready. From the uh, calculations, it looks like the material will stabilize for between 3 and 10 seconds. Alright, uh, Rick will get, get the, um, the, the transporter room ready. He will start to, to uh, set the coordinates to that general area and ready to lock on. Um, when things are done, he looks over to Setsa. You ready? I believe so. I mean, I'm still thinking through is there anything I've missed out, but I think we can react to most contingencies here. All right, well, let's do it then. And he'll uh, tap his combat ensign to more. Uh, start the Tetrium bombardment. Hi, sir. As Rick gets into position behind the transporter counter, Setsa moves over to her containment unit. Over the comm link comes the countdown. Tetrion bombardment in three, two... One, phantasmal matter is stabilizing. And with that, if I could get a control engineering from Rick. Okay, with a transporter's focus, because transporters. Indeed. Uh, 
Do we have any momentum? All I should think momentum. we at least have two points of momentum at the current point. Okay, well then I will use one. My third dice. You'll also get a bonus from working with the crew, so that's at least one success. Total of four. With four successes, everything goes off without a hitch. Not only is Setsa able to, to collect her sample, and Richtier able to lock onto all the remainder, but instead of simply transporting it into space where it may continue to grow, he's able to reduce it to subatomic particle and send it back to subspace, destroying the crystal except for the sample. And with that, the temperature begins to normalize in the starboard the cell. So we've sent it back to subspace. Uh, it won't start growing here anyway. With If that was to grow large enough, who knows what kind of problem that would be in the future. But fortunately, we've got it atomized in subspace, uh, except for our little friend in here. And he'll like sort of kneel down, squat down, and, and try look at the the, the, the triple-layered contraption that sets are organized. Through several viewing ports, there's just a floating dull blue crystal giving off its slight glow. With that, I believe I'm going to go ahead and have one more cut, this time to the ready room, where the command staff sits arrayed around the table, and this also includes D.B. Wells in this case, as they talk over what's currently been happening. Would Kara or Rick Tier like to go first? Uh, you are Kara, aren't you? Yeah. So Kara basically slides uh, a pad across the table and gets up and gestures to one of the screens, which shows a picture of Theta Delta Beta. She says, well, we're going to have to get a name for the system. Uh, but currently, we're looking at a Class L planet we could stabilize pretty easily. There's not a lot there, and nobody's going to complain if we take it. I'd say that compared to all the dead ends we've found so far, this is the most promising thing we've found for the Riathaean so far, sir. All right. That's all very good. Um, what about the magnetic interference coming in? Is that going to be a, a problem for long-range communications? It could be, but it's nothing that a few signal repeaters wouldn't, wouldn't be able to take care of. It's relatively simple to get around it. We've just needed more time to analyze it exactly. The two gas giants interplay with each other in some strange ways. All right, that sounds pretty great. And of course, the Riothaeans can also establish further colonies um, if we happen to find other planets um, that are even more suitable. But I think this, for them, is a great thing to get start started with. Kara looks around the table. So are we just going to keep calling this thing the Theta Delta... Let's see, Theta Delta 7313 system, or does anybody have a better name? Uh, How about Ryuth Nova? Riothaea Nova what about I was going to say, um, I'm not very good with naming systems. Starfleet yeah, Nova, it is. They can name <laughs> the planet whatever they want. But we've got here, you know, as exploration first, so I guess we got to name the system at least. Hey, it sounds better than Data Delta Number Number Number. So, Kari goes and just kind of flops down on a chair. So, what else has been happening? Well, uh, I don't know, and uh, Rick sort of leans down to, to just below the desk, so that was hidden from where Kara uh, was, and uh, lifts up the, um, the containment thing that Setsa did. Setsa made this, and we collected, um, there's a crystal in there that was caught in, um, caught in subspace, uh, that was temp... Uh, Drastically reducing the temperature of the starboard nacelle, it'll let it grow too big. Then um, 
we're going to have some major problems. But for now, it's all, um, all for this little bit that is well contained is atomized in subspace. Uh, all right, that's very good, too. So no further danger to the ship, nothing damaged in the sub-armored cell as a result of the extreme cold. Um, as as far as my engineers are extreme, um, uh, are very good. We have the situation under, under control. All right. Excellent. So what's in there anyway? It looks half here, half not. What is that? Some kind of ghost matter? Well, um, we are not entirely sure what it is, are we, Setzer? You probably know more about it than I do. I mean, I still don't know that much about it. I mean, the energy pattern seems similar to Tetrion, so could be a matter state using similar energy to principles, either conduit um, or that kind of energy signature, or with certain level quantum interactions that have similar properties. It's a whole big mystery, and I'm not relishing the paper because there's just a lot of shrugging I have to do at this point about what its origin could be and how it could be applied. Can I get a reason science check from D.D. Wells? Uh, does this have... I think your focus on space-time might apply. Okay. So that, that just affects the crit range, right? Yep. Interesting. Okay. Uh... D.B. Wells starts to think to himself, and he starts to think about the, the makeup of this particular thing, and it turns out that if you had one atom in regular space, and then that was connected to another one in subspace, and then that chained to another one in regular space, you'd start to get something along the same lines as what's being dealt with here, and then as additional matter passed through it, it would slow the movement of molecules and basically start to cool the whole thing down, and as everything started to cool, it'd be more likely that another atom from regular space would get sucked into the grid structure, growing the crystal, and perhaps drawing another atom from subspace. And he looks up, everyone's gone. Dang it. I did it again. <laughs> In any event, he'll... Go ahead. And Daniel runs off to try and find... to try and find either... Uh, Either Richter or Kara. Daniel runs off to try and share his current insight into everything that's going on, which unfortunately caused him to miss the rest of the meeting. Does anyone else have any other business they want to take care of? Uh, in terms of ending scene episode stuff? Yeah, anything like that. Any scenes anybody wants to do. Um, Okie dokie. We are in Club 42. Great. Grimnir, as usual, stands behind the bar, cleaning a glass. Graves walks in with a bit, with a bit of a swagger. Casual, <laughs> casual coat, or casual uh, tight shirt, and jacket slung over his shoulder. He just kind of vibing, kind of chilling, just walks in. Sets the coat down, completely irrelevant in this situation, but he's looking at trying to relax a little bit, so he's going with a little bit of his old style. So, looks up at Grimnir and says, hey! Uh, I'll take a brandy. Grimnir looks over, leans down, putting his hands on the bar, raises an eyebrow and says, Who are you and what have you done with a captain? Uh, I swear I'm not the mere version of Graves. That's just what the mere version of Graves would say. Hmm, yeah, but at the same time, he'd also like a brandy. 
Well, if you're paying, it's good enough for me. And Grimnir just turns and starts pouring a Saurian brandy for the captain. Uh, Graves takes it, looks around, kind of swings the jacket over the shoulder again. I am relaxed, he thinks to himself. This is casual. I am not thinking about work. I am putting work into this affect. Things are all right. Eli enters the club. Does Eli wear Here comes business. Eli's he's wearing his uniform now. Not fancy suit? No, he's he's wearing his first contact uniform, because that's what he wears, because no one can control me now. (laughs) Grimnir is busy setting up glasses. Nope, Eli's going to sit down next to Graves. All right, we got round one here. You feel about it. Uh, Hold on, I need just a minute. Somebody send me a picture on Facebook that's just a Furby. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think back in a couple episodes... And all I can think is, let the dark harvest begin. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a Furby with, uh, uh, I'll just send the picture. Oh, God. Okay. What's that Furby horror I mean, We might have to introduce this system to an episode again. At some point, uh, I mean, we have... Engineer Gas's Furby is going to have to come back. Oh, Tattletail. I mean, yeah. 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 All right. Graves, though, I mean, he's just sort of like, he's putting way too much effort into trying to appear casual, and it's kind of showing. It's like, he, he's problem-solving this, and he's apparently put a lot of work into trying to get this right style, possibly practicing in front of a mirror to do it. Grimnir slides a Saurian brandy over to Eli and just looks at him and says, I've never seen anybody trying so hard to relax. The parent, is it? He's, he's doing his best. I mean, maybe I should just half-ass it more? I mean, the best isn't probably the, in the best spirit of things here. Just do whatever comes to your heart. Unless it's drugs, don't do drugs, right kids. Or work, apparently. So. Uh, so, good day, good mission, good investigating. Uh, like the planet down there? It, it was nice. Yeah. Uh, might make some All supply right. runs out this way more. Kara sits down next to the captain on the other side. There's and, the picture, by the way. And she just looks at Graves and says, Have you considered a massage? Uh, I haven't looked into those holo programs now. Well, if you're going to go with a holo program, be careful which one. She holds up a finger for Grimnir I... and he slides her a bottle of Soma. Uh, all right. Yeah, that sounds... I mean, I can try that, yeah. So, uh, are we doing this thing with the Rhea fans? Ah, it looks like we're doing this thing with the Ray of Bands. Cool. I don't think you're gonna name this planet. She takes a swig from her soda. I mean, Setsu made a pretty big scientific discovery here and come out a little bit. They say leading the question. <laughs> Sorry, I was answering a question in the game time chat. What did I miss? Oh, Graves had just said, uh, just had mentioned Setsu doing a bunch of stuff. Card chuckles and says, with the discovery of the Ray of Bands. Well. We can always call it Setsa's world, but I guess that's up to them. We can't tell Setsa that about that for a while, at least, if it happens. Oh, why not? You think she'll get a big head? Uh, no, she might not come out of her quarters for a while. Kara grins. I don't see a problem with this. No, he wouldn't. He grins. He's a uh, uh, swig of his bottle. Setsa comes in in Club 42. He's wearing something quite a bit more elaborate. He'll dress with very geometric shoulder and uh, collar unit, very keeping into the modern Ibi style. 
And yeah, probably costs a little bit to uh, pull the replicator patterns from IFR as well as time to actually replicate it. It's iridescent to the light, just twinkling just a little bit, almost like it actually has a little bit of uh, hollow projection on it. He swaggers in, down next to Marcus, does. Okay, I'll have your finest dear Soma mixed with just a little bit of strawberry milk. Grimnir raises both eyebrows, but doesn't say anything. He just turns around and goes to mix the sugary carbonated water with dairy product. <laughs> Graves, Graves gives Setsu a look. Setsu looks to him and says, Well, I mean, you were putting on big effort, so I thought I might as well put in big effort. Oh, when I stopped by your quarters, I did kind of see you in the mirror. Graves just sort of like, all right, I won't do that again. Well, it's nice to see you, you know, just relaxing a little bit out of your quarters, not, you know, buried in that data pad. Grimnir, All right, yeah, I gotcha. Grimnir sets down the glass of pinkish, frothy abomination and says, You know, I hear it back on Earth, there used to be something called pilk, and it would make you plenty sick. Are you There's sure also you want to drink that lass? Yeah, Eli I feel his... like pushing things a little. All right, Sorry. I'll have the bucket ready. Eli cringes in disgust oh, seeing that. Okay, Setsa. Setsa so drinks gonna... that. I need a fitness command roll, roll, and I need two successes. Ooh. Oh. And I'm going to spend all my it's... threats, so uh, I'm uh, just uh, going to uh. go ahead and say that your complication is 16. All right. And let's see, does anything apply for focus error? Uh, do I want to spend a point? <sighs> Joy in learning as a value. Well, she may be about to learn something. Whether or not she takes joy in it, we'll find out. All right, so she's going to spend her point of determination here. So does that count as an automatic crit, or automatic success on that one? No, but I'll let you roll an extra die. Okay. In fact, I'll let you roll two extra die. Oh, yeah, so we can get make sure we get the best odds of complication happening. Two successes, two complications. <laughs> Setsa picks up the drink, he drinks it down. Yeah, that's not bad. She just continues to keep drinking without any apparent ill effects. Graves kind of gives her a look. Eli cringes more. I mean, I've got cybernetic implants to handle hazardous environmental conditions. I might as well try to stress test him a little bit, you know? Like, I did not get invited down to that planet, even though, you know, I'm a science person, but I guess needing the tubes. I was gonna say, you were busy dealing with, like, phantasmal Specter, weird blue crystal bullshit. I know, but I mean, I'm I'm junior science, and I mean, this is kind of a little bit more on the physical sciences side. And oh well, I mean, I can I can deal with not having one trip to this planet. I'm sure the three Italians settle down and might be able to go down more, check things out. Frankly, it'll probably get more pleasant. Yay! Still no little effects for Setsa. <laughs> Uh, she apparently has no ill effects. Apparently. One of those is a key, I was about to say, one of those is a key word. <laughs> Sets such things down. Just vibes. Looks around. There's nods. Kind of enjoying, like, hey, I mean, at least I'm not standing out quite as much. And from here, it looks like we might have something from both Rick Tier and D.B. Wells. Who would like to go? Um, I'll start with uh, Rick first. He is um, 
in uh, main engineering, just downloading uh, all the history that um, he has on on the events surrounding uh, D.B. Wells' disappearance. Um, some of the story, like, uh, accounts of what happened, some of the stories following, some of the um, co direct consequences of his uh, disappearance, um, stories about whatever, seeing if he can find anything on on whatever family or connections that he might have had, what happened to them. Um, it's all pretty sad news. His death in that antimatter explosion set back antimatter research by decades. Uh, his family uh, basically mourned him for quite a quite a long time, but you know, as time went on, he was basically honored as you know a hero's death. He had been trying to push the boundaries of science, and sometimes that doesn't go well. All right, so he will uh, collate that all and start to head out. And where would Rick like to head? Uh, I think that would be a good point for Daniel to run into him since. Uh... Daniel was, was looking for him, right? Well, let's actually just cut to Daniel in his quarters, where he's just received some mail from the Office of Temporal Operations. And unfortunately, Daniel answered, oh, sorry. the news isn't good. Uh, uh, wait, so, wait, so is this happening at the same time, or? This is happening at like, roughly the same time. Rick is probably walking towards your quarters. Okay. But the note from the Office of Temporal Affairs says that there is too much danger to the timeline to send you back. Sending you back is definitely going to change history a great deal based on the research that you were doing, what it led to, and the setbacks caused by your, and at least in this report, it puts it in quotation marks, death. Okay. Uh, Daniel's just kind of sitting there looking at the letter on his bed. Uh, and after a bit, he just kind of gets up and walks out of his room before Rick can catch him there. I was going to say, actually, you run right into Rick, who is about to knock on your door. Uh, Daniel, I've got uh, everything I could on the history of what happened, um, the accounts of your, um, of your research and, and some of the effects that happened afterwards. Um, here, if there's anything you uh, and he passes the pad, sorry, he passes the pad over. If there's uh, anything I could help you with or uh, anything, let me know. And Daniel now Daniel. has re reports on his death, and it's very strange to read about a period of time he didn't get to see where he's referred to in the past tense. Daniel just takes the pad from Rick and thinks for a moment before saying, Thanks, I'll. I'll give this uh I'll give this a look later and then walks off towards the uh towards a uh turbo lift and Rick's just there turning watching as uh Daniel disappears before uh, leaving back uh towards this main engineering and do we cut to Daniel in the turbo lift yes we do we cut to we cut to a room we we cut to the half deck, where the doors to the turbo lift open and Daniel walks out, the letter in hand. Then he gives a look. He gets takes a look around, then 
cracks his knuckles a bit, stretches, and says, Nothing ventured, before going over to learn more about what lies in this room. And for there, I think we'll call it tonight, since we've done the whole game through. I forgot to do an uh, intermission. Sorry if anybody's been holding it. I've been good. Also, what were the the comps for Setsa and the Milk? Oh, right, I forgot about that. Right before the episode ends, there's a panning shot of the Reliant. The sound of violent vomiting and moaning. (laughs) All in Setsa's voice. The, the and, chief and, medical officer pipes up. I told you. Wait, no, I didn't. But everyone else told you. Nothing ventured. Y- you gained nothing. You gained set, intestinal problems. Set, 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 be still. You're. It. It. Both ends, dear. I will. I will persevere. Do you want to pump your stomach? We could do that. Yes. I don't think there's anything left in it. Take no chances. Get it out. Get it out. All right, let's let's go. And with this, I think we'll go ahead and cut to the very end of the session. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me tonight. Oh, I just remembered. If you want to tell us how much you enjoyed it or hated it, send us a logic bomb. Otherwise, make Rick's day a little bit more difficult. You can send email to Reliant at StarbaseUGC.com. And remember, kids, winners don't drink pilk.